Welcome to the 91 Untold Change Project. I'm Neil Armand. I'm your host uh, for today. We're actually in the offices of NCVO today uh, in London uh, with our guest Sophie Livingston. Um, the reason we've asked Sophie to be part of the, the Change Project is that as Chief Exec of Trustees Unlimited, I think she's got this really quite interesting helicopter view of the the whole charity sector while simultaneously having this quite interesting dynamic that trustees unlimited is the company rather than the charity so uh, <laughs> that i think is something quite interesting for us to look at and i personally know sophie best from her eight years at city year uk where she was the chief exec and grew it from a startup nothing to to being one of the most successful youth charities uh, in the UK and it's been a, a pleasure to work alongside you for, for some of that time. Welcome to the 91 Untold Change Project. The whole universe is in a state of entropy. If you can unlock that higher motivation, they'll be with you. How do you create an environment where people can find meaning at work? That can create the needed culture change. How does radical change happen? You know it's a good business. In terms of our evolution, we were not required to have a conscious understanding of complex systems. What creates great innovation in the social arena? It's that bit for you taking action. Have some real sense of control over our lives. Sophie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Uh, well, I'd like to start off probably looking at City Year, if that's yep, okay. Yeah, that's because fine. Because in, in, in the topic of change, it that startup phase and how yeah. you actually moved it from zero income up to several million pounds income a year. How did you do that? What, what was necessary in order to create that change? Um, lots of factors. I mean, lots of different people and stakeholders, I think, coming together. So I think there's a, there's a bit of a myth in the, our sector, the charity sector, around the sort of one dynamic founder that pulls, you know, that is responsible. Um, and that wasn't really my experience. I mean, yes, I was the leader, but if we hadn't have had a brilliant team of staff, a brilliant team of funders and supporters and young people who then stepped up to do the programme, particularly the, the first cohort mm. who took, um, you know, took a punt on us, then it, none of it would have happened. So I, I think a lot of that change was really the force of will of that collective um, coming together around a particular vision and making something happen um, and then trying to work out how best to replicate that year on year. So I was there for, for eight years. So we started with, with nothing, raised the money, demonstrated it in London, grew it in London and then moved to the West Midlands and Greater Manchester. Um, so there were a number of sort of changes going on. I mean, we were in continual change, I suppose, um, the whole way through. And the programme itself is about the change that you can make um, in young people's lives through service, um, social action in, the, in support of children. So it was entirely about change the whole thing was about change yeah. <laughs> the whole way through. <laughs> and I, I, I really hear what you say there as well about not being a central forceful leader who's like, come on, let's... But having worked with you, one of the things I think you did very well was bring together those that staff team, bring together the funders, the, the, the trustees and the, the young people and, and got them working in a particular direction. That seems important to me. How did you do that? How did you create that collaboration? I suppose it's it is about this sort of central vision that you you've got to have a collective sense of this is what we want to achieve, and this is the urgency. One of my previous boss, bosses, Shaq's go, she used to run crisis, and I worked for at the private equity foundation. Used to always say, "What's the crisis? What's the problem you're trying to solve?" and try and coalesce everybody around that. Um, she was talking about that in the context of fundraising, and of course that, that's really important. <laughs> um, but actually, when you're trying to uh, galvanise volunteers and other people to come together, you do need that sense of urgency around children are not achieving at school, young people don't know what they're going to do when they leave school or university. That's a crisis that we've got an answer to, um, and there's a real sense of urgency about doing something to address that in um, as, as great a way as we possibly can. Um, so I think 
keeping true to that vision we also had a plan for 2020 that pretty much all our young people could recite <laughs> um, so um, it, it really was quite a good having that sort of guide star was really helpful for everybody to then come behind and sort of drive everybody towards but I suppose it was also about having high standards and expectations of people people tend to rise to your expectations so if you expect excellence that usually tends to happen and people want to meet that expectation so and I was also very picky about the staff we hired as well we I was particularly in the early days wanted to make sure I met everybody who came for interviews we did a lot of interviews a lot of it was around fit around Mm. um attitude um are people really up for this and are they going to work in the same way that we want to work in terms of working fast, uh, working in a business-like way, trying to make this happen quickly? Because that wasn't for everybody. So I was very lucky that, um, you know, and you worked with a lot of them. We had a really core team of very smart, very committed people, yes. who most of whom were with me for the whole eight years, which was amazing. It was incredible. There were some some phenomenal people there, mm. and I think you should be very proud of that, yeah. as I know you are. How did you do that, though? Because you said I was in the interviews, and <laughs> I, I, I looked for fit attitude. I heard motivation yeah. as well. But if someone was trying to emulate that, how would they do that? Because it worked. Um, oh, that's... Yeah, how did I do that? I suppose I was just... Some of it is instinct. You sort of know if you can work... You do know if you can work with someone or you can't. And I suppose it's about having clarity in your own mind and with your team around, this is what we expect. These are the standards we expect and these are the behaviours we expect. And we spent a lot of time um, working with you and your team on the sort of what what does it really look like in terms of the behaviour and culture of the organisation at its absolute best. And then looking in an interview process at who can who can match that both in terms of the interaction you get and then using examples to test people so I suppose we did a lot of scenarios in in interviews with people to sort of test how they would deal with particular issues so a lot of our work was very interpersonal we were recruiting all the time because we were recruiting young people that in itself was a real responsibility recruiting schools as well we also were having to assess whether a school was the right fit for us so much of it was about culture and style and so I suppose you got used to understanding Mm. and knowing quite quickly what was the right fit or not Um, the challenge you then have is then communicating that further down the chain as you grow as an organization because to begin with, we were a small group and you end up with a bit of a shorthand between you. But as you grew, we were, what, 60 staff by the time I left. You you can't be in every interview. Yes. So it was about trying to make sure that you had a, a staff culture that was as codified as possible to help other people be part of that and help to replicate it as we got bigger. And I think we pretty much did that. I agree. I across agree, all three sites. So. And... You mentioned the the coalescing around a crisis, around a mission, mm. and 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 getting that clear. Again, how did you define that? How and then how did you sell it? What because you are, you have a sense of urgency, and as I talked to you about quite a few different social issues. I, I think you could <laughs> you could motivate me around them, but to take a whole organisation in that direction, what what was your process or what was your thinking in order to to get that clarity well I suppose we had we had a model that we inherited from the US and then we looked at how we could apply that model of young people volunteering in schools to the challenges that there are in our country and there there were two challenges one was young people not knowing or having the skills they need to go into the workplace or for their future Um, even young people who are graduating with great degrees are very often doing that with a lot of debt behind them but also just really yeah. not knowing what to do next and the world is quite a confusing place so it's sort of how do we tackle that problem and how do we use the sort of the gift that they can give of their time and their service to both upskill them but also help them to make that very human connection with children who need their attention time mentoring support um, and through that help those young people to work out who they are what they're good at how they can grow 
and then where they can move on to next. And the other piece we brought into that was working with corporate partners to help them um, provide their own support for those young people giving their service to children. So we would um, offer a mentor from business to all our young people participating on the programme, but we'd also help them with work shadowing, work placements, um, access to, I mean, even just access to going to an event at Canary, or building in Canary yeah. Wharf, that sort of thing. So actually the first time you go for an interview with a business, it's not the first time you've been in an office like that, can, can be in itself transformational. So I felt like there was, there was a social mobility mission at the heart of all of the things we were doing. And we have a real problem with social mobility in the UK. So we were taking a tried and tested version of City from the States and applying that to the social mobility problem. Yes. And so we were having to communicate that problem to all of the stakeholders involved in our organisation to help galvanise them to want to make a difference to that. But we had a really good tool to do that. I suppose that's the, that's the thing, you need the crisis and then you need the tool and the tool can motivate people because they feel like they can get behind it and see, okay, that's how I can make that change. And then we were really hot on measuring impact as well. So it wasn't just, oh, it's a really nice thing and it's quite fluffy and you've given your service. It was how many hours have you spent with children? How are their levels improving? how how are those young people rating their confidence we had a measure around confidence in speaking to author figures and authority okay that absolutely rocketed it was it was something like nine percent at the start of the year this is young people felt confident talking to people in authority and by the end of the year it was 75 percent um because they'd been in a school so they were talking to teachers head teachers they were having to advocate negotiate on behalf of the after school club they were running or the breakfast club they were sorting out they were having to do that day in day out so they were suddenly able to do that which is an amazing thing for them to then have to then go into the workplace yes. so those sorts of things we were really hot on looking at um our own internal measures, but also having external evaluation to really validate what we were doing so we knew what worked and how we could improve on it, um, which I was also really proud about. And we would do um, a biannual breakfast for all of our supporters and pre present to them a big slide deck of these are all the measures, this is what we've done, this is what didn't work, this is what we're adjusting, and bring them in to the family to sort of help them understand and see what it was we were thinking about. So, um, so hopefully that also, and that, you know, our retention of donors was, was very strong. There were a lot of donors who funded us to begin with, um, based on the track record from the States, but then stayed with us for eight, those eight years because of what we were doing, because they were part of that journey with us. Wow. I want to come back to evaluation a little bit more in a moment, if I may, but first of all, you mentioned corporate partners several times yeah. in, in that conversation. What role do you think business has in, you know, in the area of social change and activism? I mean, what part do you think they can play in the years ahead? Oh, lots. And I think there, there's, an increasing, there's an increasing expectation on the part of young people going into businesses, asking them, what do you do for, for social good? How <laughs> responsible are you? Um, and that is starting to change behaviour. Um, I think there's a real opportunity for uh, companies to think about um, and support the role that their staff can play in the community. And I mean, of course, lots of them do that already, but that you know can always go further and one of the things i'm doing now is running a program called step on board which is a board placement program and we work with a range of organizations like google and barclays and um ey and others to help them train up their staff to think about becoming a charity trustee help them understand what's involved and then work with them to create their board ready cv and place them with a charity or match them help them to apply obviously they've got to be right for it um and that's a very um, powerful way of getting new types of people onto charity boards and involved in civil society, which is really important. But there's a whole range of other things that businesses need to and will be doing. Uh, Trustees Unlimited is a, a B Corp. We're part of the B Corp movement in the UK. So one of the, um, the B Corp movement is about businesses with a purpose um, that want to be responsible in social and environmental areas. Um, and I think the B Corp movement here is just going to grow. Um, and I think um, 
there's going to be an increasing overlap between charities and business and social enterprise and that whole world is going to merge a lot more charities are often businesses themselves anyway having to run trading arms they are run like businesses i really tried running a charity to run it like a business as much as i could the thing that drove me slightly nuts with that was fundraising and the fact that fundraising is quite a fickle environment it's not Mm. based on sales to customers (laughs) um and i wish you know we could have had more of that but we built up um the side of the business we could sell which was selling to schools we we did and about 30 percent of our income um was through school sales so schools buying in our product because they valued it as something that they needed in their schools and we had a lot of repeat customers so you know where they can be commercial they should be trying to be um as efficient as possible but there's always a need for that philanthropic investment so that you can do things that the market doesn't allow you to do um so there still needs to be that that blurring across across the different sectors (laughs) and do you think because i mean some companies are are very good in this area but some it it still is philanthropic is still very much about oh here have some money do something good with it yeah and i don't really understand quite what you're doing with it but it sounds cool yes where do you think that's going because i i personally to be very leading um, i personally (laughs) see there's there are opportunities for businesses to use their skills in in much more to have much more direct social impact Absolutely. Um, I think there's is a huge huge potential for skills based volunteering rather than going and doing the traditional painting a wall. Yeah. Um and there is still a bit too much of the painting a wall and team based, you know, let's go and do something nice. Where and I think sometimes there can be a bit of fear of, oh no, that's not my world, what would I have to offer? But actually there's a lot of similarities. Um and there's a lot of um, skills that are so transferable that charities are crying out for at trustee level but also at executive mm. level to support um, support the staff um, on a project basis or I suppose the, the challenge that you have is that understanding both ways of the pressures that you have so I think chari- um, charities don't necessarily always understand quite how busy people in business yes. are <laughs> um, and the different competing pressures they've got and then business people don't quite understand that to engage volunteers takes quite a lot of work um and my mantra always used to be volunteering is not free if you want we'd often get approaches from people who'd want to come and spend their away day problem solving for us or that sort of thing and actually that takes a lot of work to set up um and that um i think we'd also get businesses not really realizing that just because we worked in a charity didn't mean we weren't professional so they'd sort of come thinking that the bar was a lot lower than it actually was um so i think there's a sort of need for that understanding on both sides so that you meet in the middle rather than talk across each other um but and how's that achieved because obviously with the the role you now have at at trustees unlimited um and step on board to a large degree Mm. as well you know you're at the center of that now how do you actually achieve that in a way that's that is useful to a, a charity? Because I agree with you. I mean, having run Kickass, there were all sorts of skills I wanted, but I couldn't get them in big enough dollops to yes. make them useful. I mean, yeah. if you're employing a member of staff, you often consider that they're not going to be active for at least six months, yeah. really. Yeah. And we're expecting this person to come in in 27 minutes and and make a change yes and also lots of people coming to offer you advice and you're like i just need someone to come and do it yes <laughs> <laughs> don't tell me what to do i know what needs doing i just need someone to there to do it um so i think it's a i mean you know it's, there's no silver bullet with this stuff so i think the, the mission i have now with trustees unlimited and step on board is to try and get a greater volume of people understanding what being a trustee involves and getting involved in in joining charity boards at you know there's 160 odd thousand charities in england and wales there's enough to go around and we need to get a greater volume of people coming through to step onto those boards um at all levels so it's Mm. not just the save the children's it's the small local community charities and everything in between um and i think the more people get involved in 
involved in those perhaps more at the grassroots level actually they will have a greater understanding of what it takes to run a charity um but equally there's also from the sort of csr perspective a greater need for them to help with that brokerage and for that to help their staff understand the environment that charities are operating in and what it is they need but it's multi it's multi-layered okay thank you and I mean, I, I want to be a little bit provocative oh, here gosh. now. Okay. Um, <laughs> and just to say that my experience, I mean, obviously I, I ran uh, Kick-Ass for about 10 years and I had a board of trustees and I recruited pretty much all of those trustees. I mentioned this to you mm. earlier. And periodically we had a functioning board, but most of the time there was really interesting stuff going on. Now, that I, I take responsibility for that as an entrepreneur as well, that I'm sure I wasn't easy to work with as the, the founder and leader and chief exec of the organization, and then people <laughs> coming into that space. But my experience across the sector is that there aren't a huge number of really functional trustee boards that I've had the pleasure of engaging with. That might be because I'm called in when they're not working, so I, maybe I've got a, <laughs> a, a, a skewed view, but what's your thoughts on that? If these are the, the boards that effectively are creating the organizations that are going to create some of the social change that we have in the future, how can it work? Um. I think a lot of it is down, because of the structure we have, I think a lot of it is down to the chair. So if you've got a good chair, everything will flow out of that and vice versa. And that chair-CEO relationship is really important in terms of making sure that um, there's clarity about where the the organisation is going strategically. Um, And then it's about um, the chair facilitating diversity of thought and input onto a board rather than creating cliques, um, which can often happen. Um, and that often doesn't happen. So I had a, I had a brilliant stat the other day. One in 12 trustees is called John or David, um, which gives you an example of how undiverse charity boards are. <laughs> and actually <clears throat> having robust conversations at trustee board level is fine. That is a good thing. There should be robust debate. And I think um, that does come from having people with lots of different backgrounds and lived experience around that board table being enabled to have a discussion. And then the skill is in chairing that so that everybody has had their input, but that there's a, a resolved way forward and that then collectively you, you agree with that way forward. Um, I think, unfortunately, there's too much groupthink. There's too many people who are like-minded and from the same backgrounds all sitting around a table together that doesn't help to facilitate that. Um, There's also an unhelpful um, approach that is one of the things Step On Board is set up to try and challenge, which is um, people from brilliant business backgrounds taking their business hat off when they enter the boardroom and thinking, now I've got my charity hat on, when actually they need their business hat on. So there's that sort of psychology of, no, actually, we want your business skills. We want you to be thinking like that and to be looking and reviewing the accounts in a forensic way and helping to challenge the executive in a supportive way, but in a a robust way. Um, And and there are lots of similarities once you've got your head around the you know, the differences, there are also lots of similarities. So there's there's lots of different elements to that, but I think um, diversity that is allowed to come forward um, and have a, a powerful input into the board boardroom um, is at the heart of some of that. Okay. And what about working with the exec team? You mentioned the, that supportive type environment. Are you a fan of key execs being almost like an equal part of the decision-making board? Or do you do you see trustees as a, a separate external board? I, um, yeah, I think there's a, a sort of, I need, I really want to look into this a little bit when I have some time. Um, the idea of- <laughs> You are new in post. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I will be very fair to you on that. The but. idea of unitary boards so that like in business, you have execs and non-execs. Yeah. Um, why that's not the case in the charity sector and, and you know, I think there are some charities that have unitary boards like that. I think it's important that um, I know that um, the trustees entrust the running of the organisation to the staff if the charity's big enough, but actually those staff 
particularly the exec, have a a really important trusted role and they should have that liability as well around the boardroom table but also that voice rather than having to sort of go with a please can I do this Um, and that can sometimes lead to a really unhelpful dynamic of having to sort of play power games outside the boardroom to get what you want inside the boardroom which isn't healthy you should just all be having that discussion Um, so I do wonder whether the structures need adjusting in order to facilitate that and it is something I've, I've been meaning to look at for ages, actually. I'm quite, intre- I'm quite interested in exploring. <laughs> well, you need, you need a social cause now. Because uh, all yeah, the time I've known you, you've, got you've been, had some sort of cause that you've been taking on. So I think that might be an appropriate one. I, I, I think it's important because looking at your career, I do see that one of your strengths is collaboration. Mm. And it, that unitary board, that that collaboration skill seems to yeah. be a really important part yeah. of how things work. Yeah. How do you do that? How do you do the collaboration stuff and not let your ego get in the way in the way that a, a lot of people do? I mean, obviously, I know we've had some interesting conversations from time to time, but um, how, how do you do that and bring people together and diverse thought together? Um. It seems like a really important part of the change process to me. It really is. I, I think it's about... Um, I suppose it's different levels, isn't it? It's, it's people feeling that... The, and so much of this is down to feeling as much as, as your head. It's the heart as well. Feeling that they own a process so that they are... You're all in it together and you are all working towards the same mission and you have a stake in contributing towards that. Um, but that you will be supported in te- testing stuff out rather than um, uh, penalised for it. Because not everything mm. works when you're going through a tra- change process. You've got to test some stuff out. And, you know, not everything worked with City Year. Um, across eight years, we had to test things and stop and start and not every appointment worked and not every school partnership worked. And But I think the most important thing is sort of going in with a learning frame of mind so that you can collectively then take a take stock and um review whether why you know why actually you decided to withdraw from that school partnership or why this funder decided to not fund you or whatever it is but doing that in a team-based way so i suppose my whole approach has always been doing things as a team um be that as a team of young people in a school or a team of our staff or a team with um, with a corporate actually yeah. getting to really. Know, I think it's also with particularly with funders. It's been getting to understand their motivation for being in, involved, and it's one of the privileges of of that job and also this job now because you know we've got a lot of corporate partners supporting the stuff on board programs. Why why do they want to be involved? Yes. What is their motivation? What's their driver? Because once you understand that, you can work together much more effectively to meet that drive driver while also meeting the objective that you have. Um, and then you're pushing it an open door. Okay, so if I understand that correctly, because in the back of my mind was also this vision and urgency and creating the crisis that you were mm-hmm. talking about earlier, which potentially is at odds with, with then going, oh, let's look at what you want. But it, it seems to be that you're talking much more about we've got this direction, everyone needs to be aligned to that direction. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, but also everyone's got their own stuff, their reasons for being for running alongside us or, yes. or with us. Yeah. You've checked up front that they are the right person. They're, yeah. ju- they're yeah. broadly focused in the right direction. <laughs> yes. But still recognizing that they have individually objectives around that. Does yeah, that everybody's sound- got a different motivation or reason to care about your cause, I suppose, if that's a better way of putting it. There's sort of like the higher purpose, but everybody comes to that higher purpose through a series of, of routes um, and is motivated to stay stay focused on that higher purpose because they've got a particular um, motivator behind them, be that a personal driver or be it a, um, a target, a, you know, an internal corporate target or whatever. You have to understand what is the route to unlock their driver to your higher purpose, I suppose, is my is Lovely. my point. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And is that the difference that lets go of the ego? I think so, because then, well, 
I think so. Yeah, I mean, there will always be some people who you just have to flatter their ego and make them feel like they're number one. And you just have to accept that that is life. But most people, if you can unlock that higher motivation, they'll be with you. Um, And also, if you make it fun to to work with you as well, they've got to, you know, there's actually sort of basic stuff like that. Give them good coffee in the office. (laughs) Be nice to them. Be responsive, um, be easy to work with, give them the results that they need. And particularly thinking about funders, I suppose, in terms of give them what they need, give them a bit more than what they need, help them look good to their superiors, um, but also help them feel good about being part part of your mission. Um, There's a whole load of things you can do along Mm. the side to get them to come alongside you um, that aren't that hard um, and make make it a whole lot easier yes. <laughs> to get stuff done. And so. give you multiple routes to get to the same point. Exactly, yeah. I really like that. And I, I did say I'd come back to evaluation. Oh, yes. As, <laughs> as well. And again, now that you've got the, the chief exec hat for, for Trustees Unlimited, again, it seems appropriate to almost ask that question. How do you do evaluation? I was hearing a lot of creativity in what you were talking about before and not necessarily just looking at the normal metrics but what could we be evaluating here but how do you think it works and I have an agenda within this and I think a huge number of charities are hugely ineffective and and don't I, I, I've become really cynical since <laughs> I, I I left kick ass well I think there's you know for if you're evaluating charities different well or evaluating a business I suppose but there's the counting piece which is counting the numbers but I think the thing that's quite interesting then is to explore what's behind those numbers so you need the quant but you need the qual which is really understanding why is that number happening and what's what's the story behind that to help you understand the impact the impact you're making or the change you need to make to adjust that result Um, and so we would always do both and then we would always this is from a city perspective we'd always have an external view where we could afford it and we were lucky that a couple of funders paid for us to have external evaluations over the years that gave you that sort of Mm. different picture and the best evaluations were the formative ones where they worked with you and you start you know as you went through you were shaping how you were thinking about evolving the program we had a great um evaluation that Renacy did with us that helped us to really think about the structure of the staff structure in the schools and we changed the whole staff structure in schools because of that evaluation which totally was totally the right thing to do their evaluation confirmed what we were thinking but it was having that external um, input that gave us the confidence to go forward and make that change it cost us quite a lot of money um, so it, we needed that external viewpoint um, but their evaluation was a much more qualitative rather than quantitative one because they went and observed what was actually happening um, which I think, I think is really important that is really important I th- also think it's really significant what I'm hearing here because uh, as we look at social change part of my question behind this is how does social change actually happen how do we mm. know it's actually yeah. changed and I'm hearing that what you're talking about in terms of evaluation is having the evaluation linked to the vision yes not so much to the funds now obviously you still have to have that that linkage there but I've I've spoken to a lot of people over the years where it's about evaluating it to get more funding rather than what I'm hearing and what you're saying is the evaluation helped us to make a better product that was then funded I suppose I suppose that was the difference that around city compared to some charities which was we had a model and we were trying to draw funding into it rather than um other charities i've worked in you were going after the funding and creating the product to meet the funding sometimes sometimes or you're having to adapt your product to meet the funding now sometimes that is just what you have to do to be able to keep your organization going and to do the work that you know is valuable but we were trying to do something different um which was to to try and pull in money against something we knew worked and that we were continually evaluating. And we were trying to create fellow travellers of our funders who would then 
we would report back to on the evaluation of our product rather than their stream of funding. Yes. We, would have, we would, of course, report back to them on their stream of funding you know, and their quarterly reports and what have you. But I think the thing that really got the, the key decision makers motivated to keep funding us was the breakfast, the dinners, the coming to see it in a school, that macro piece, um, and seeing at a macro level the impact that we were making. That's what I... I okay. believe anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's a but it is hard the funding environment doesn't really isn't really set up to enable you to do that and we were able to buck that trend um but that but it is a hard thing to do. Um yeah. and it was getting increasingly difficult to do because we weren't new and exciting after 8 years so it was yes. it was tougher. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um and I think that's an important point isn't it as we look at how does social change actually happen mm-hmm. and w- what is it that create that that impact as i said earlier i know you've done a lot of lobbying of governments and <laughs> you've normally had some sort of cause that you're you're <laughs> yep. championing yep. And, and i've seen you many times create real long-lasting change as a result of that what do you think are those qualities that actually enable social change to take place? In, it, do you mean in the lobbying sort of political change context? If or you're willing to go there, I'd very much be interested <laughs> in your thoughts there. Um, I mean, how do we change things? You know, if we're not satisfied with the status quo now, if we're not happy with where things are, what are those things from your observations that seem to make a difference? Um, well, I suppose you can you need to decide where you're going to make the change. So you can make change at a political level. Of course, you know, that right now is quite an interesting space to be in, let's put it that way. Um, Or you can decide you're going to do it on a practical level. So I started my career thinking I wanted to change the world. I've always cheesily thought I wanted to change the world. And I thought politics was the way to do it. I still believe politics does change the world. It certainly changes the world, but, um, (laughs) you know, not necessarily. And, you know, I decided that my contribution was better made in a sort of more practical charity sector space. I'm more of a sort of doer and I, I found politics quite frustrating and, and quite slow. Having said that, all of my roles up to now have had a sort of advocacy piece to them because I still think that changing the levers of power and structures um, is really important to, to also try and do in tandem with that practical social change mm. at an individual level. Um, you want system change as well. Um, how do you create social change? I think... Well, it, it does still come back to what is the, what is your crisis? What are you trying to change? Yeah. What's your vision? And then what what are you going to do either systemically or practically to make that happen? And who is going to be alongside you? It's that, you know, thoughtful group of committed citizens. Yes. Um, Margaret Mead quote, which is really important. You need... Um, you need some followers if you're going to lead some change. Um, and so who's going to be alongside you to do that um, in a practical way? What is it that you're trying to address? So at the moment, I'm the chair of Little Village, which is a baby bank. Our founder, Sophia, was on a maternity leave uh, one of her th- for one of her three babies and decided that she uh, wanted to do something about the amount of baby kit that you get and what you do with it. Um, so she's created a baby bank um, that passes on baby kit to families that need it, who can't afford yes. it. Um, the really exciting bit about that is not just the kit, but the connections that are then made between the volunteers who donate their kit and help to sort it out and the families that need it. Um, And the story that we can then tell about child poverty. So then it comes back up to the advocacy piece. Yes. Um, And she's done incredibly well at getting a lot of coverage. There was a dispatches programme a couple of weeks ago, Women's Hour last week, The Observer on Sunday. So, you know, (laughs) lots of stuff. It's really live because... um, Baby banks are quite a new phenomenon in this country. It's and it's quite heartrending to think that there are children sleeping on sofa cushions on the floor, um, uh, not having safe cots, all that sort of not having the right clothes, all of that sort of stuff. It's really depressing. And one in five of the families we see are in work, so it's yeah. not even um, extreme. It's people who are working who can't afford stuff for their children. Um, but the bigger lever pulling piece that we have for Little Village is the raising awareness of child poverty and trying to make a change at that level while also alleviating on a practical day to day level um, 
the very real need that families have across London for this for this stuff. So I would say it's the practical side of things helps you to do the the advocacy piece because you've got the evidence from yeah the practical piece. So it was a very long winded way of getting to that point. Um, you have the credibility and the evidence that you need. Um, through those stories and it is very often stories you can have them you can have loads of numbers but actually we respond to stories yes which is why we've ended up with so many bits of coverage recently because the stories are so powerful um and it's those that are then starting to get attention and then but then you really need a very powerful very targeted specific way of trying to look at what levers need to be pulled to make a change at government level and that's where it gets tricky particularly in, in the current climate to, to get attention enough attention to make that happen and my experience on doing that is being tenacious and being a pain yes <laughs> um can often get you quite a long way but also if you've got that credibility behind you that also that makes a really big difference I think that's really useful, you layering those bits out, that being practical, coming up with some of the solutions as well as... Cause yeah. That, that's probably one of the bits that's missing from social action. Yeah. Uh, it's that not it's going not just against shouting. something, exactly. but going towards something. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm hearing that several times in what you're saying, the, the vision, the urgency, but something practical there that we can rally behind. Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of being focused on right it's this particular thing so when I was at City it was you need to change the law around young people giving a full-time year of service because at the moment they're counted as needs not in education employment and training but yet they're doing something really valuable for themselves and society that's crazy it's a small change yes um, and because it was a small change we managed to get attention um, so it's about picking off the pieces that you think um, can be changed and also if you have a a bigger cause obviously influencing the broader political conversation um but piece by piece yes making things change when i was um at the foyer federation working on youth homelessness it was the 16-hour housing benefit rule that we were really focusing on and again creating stories behind to to try and get that changed so yeah Thank you. No, I think that's, that's right. really useful, really useful. Can you tell us, you mentioned B Corp movement yes. earlier. Um, we've talked about similar developments, potentially, the you know, teal movements around businesses and, and these sort of things to some extent and, and changes and movements. What's your understanding of the, the B Corp movement and where do you think it's going? Um, so it's come across from the States, but it's it's really gathering pace in the, in the UK and it's a way for um, businesses to certify that they are businesses with a social or environmental uh, responsible purpose um, and you get certified by... B Corp um, and then you can talk about your commitment to that as a B Corp so it's a it's a growing movement um, and it's a fairly rigorous certification process so it's not something that you just you know a logo you just stick on your website so um, it's a really good way of signaling that commitment and hopefully will then become a a badge a sort of badge of honour really if you're um, trying to attract people to apply um, to work for you or for contracts or that sort of thing to show actually no we are serious about our social purpose or being an impact uh, driven organisation um, and and this is why and that's what B Corp does for us so having joined Trustees Unlimited which is a founding B Corp in, in the UK yes. um, I'm quite excited about getting to know them a bit more and working out what else we can do to sort of help grow that movement and be part of it because I think it's got real potential to to go further. Uh, I think so too. I think there's something really wonderful in any sort of movements that, that mm. that's creating some of these changes. Um, one of the things Giles Gibbons reflected on, I suppose, during the the podcast that we had with him uh, from Good Business was he was questioning whether. A certification like that is there's a danger that when somebody's got it they go right we've got that Um, (laughs) a a little bit like investors in people or something like that and he was saying even though 
he's heavily involved in the Sustainable Restaurants Association, which has a certification process. <laughs> so I'm not against certification <laughs> and that sort of thing. Uh, but do you think there's a danger that that it's the next thing that people create the badge, or what's the the energy that stops that? I think that's. That, yeah, I mean, it slightly segues me into thinking about um, all the thinking we did when we created Generation Change, um, which is a group of youth social action organisations that came together to want to um, prove um, and demonstrate the power of youth social action through sort of defining it and defining what high quality looked like. Um, and we had a lot of kickback, quite rightly, from the sector around. Well, we don't need an, you know, we don't need a tick box investors in people type certification for for it. And what we've ended up with is what we've called an impact accelerator. We work with Dartington um, Social Research mm. Unit to to deliver, and it is very much about looking at how you can be a continual learning organisation or your program, because some of them are programmes of a bigger organisation. So it is a sort of continual improvement programme and the the Impact Accelerator is about that rather than about you've fulfilled all these things we've seen, you've got these policies, right, you're fine. Um, It's much more about a continual commitment to raising the tide of high quality youth social action um, and uh, demonstrating that you're committed to what we've defined as double benefit youth social action. So the young person doing the giving back also benefits alongside the cause that they're benefiting, which is something that came out of actually the city or ethos of young people serving kids in schools. Um, so I'm quite proud of what we did with Generation Change and I suppose that's one of the things that makes me excited about talking to B Corp about how we can use some of maybe the lessons from from that. You know, I'm sure they've got plenty of knowledge and expertise <laughs> themselves, but you know, it'd be interesting to have that yes. conversation about how they think about it and how, how it can be a sort of continually evolving movement rather than just you've got your certification, therefore you are a good organisation because... We all know that that's not that's never going to be enough. It is always about a continual conversation. Yes, and I, I, mean, I certainly don't want to be on the outside saying, "Oh, this could never." Because I, I, I yeah. think anything that moves forward and gets the, it also groups together. I mean, that's one of the things I always loved about Generation Change was bringing together yes. like-minded people and the you know the the benefits that could be got as people talk to other oh. people you know yeah. I, I was at one of the the forum meetings for the chief execs i remember and just thinking there are some of the most powerful people in this sector here working together learning from each other and you know acceleration is probably the right word to put in on yeah that. and it was it was brilliant because it was um it hadn't happened before. There was a bit of resistance, shall we yeah. say, from some quarters about it to begin with. But one of the best bits of founding General, being a co-founder of Generation Change, was the conversations that we had in the early days, working out what we were going to do. And it was so much fun, but also just being a chief executive of charity is quite a lonely job. So all of us coming together and having those conversations, I think we all got so much out of that piece. Um, and it meant that we had a stronger organisation moving forward and continue to do, because I'm still on the board of Generation yeah. J, um, because we've we've had those, we've been through that together and we've been through that thinking process. Um, so I, I'm really proud of what we've managed to achieve with that, um, sort of against the odds on top of our day jobs. Yes. Because we care. <laughs> I suppose it comes back again to that bigger mission of because we really cared about high quality on behalf of young people. Um, and... Yes, it's a bit removed from the sort of day-to-day delivery, but actually it's all about the day-to-day delivery yeah. and the quality and standard that those young people get comes from the vision you set and, and everything that flows through as a result of that. I think there's some lovely learning there potentially in the new role at, mm. at Trustees Unlimited as well of you know, coming together in that yeah. way and you know, how, that, how that can really work as Absolutely. A, in a powerful way. Yeah. Um, I'd like to just, you know, as we're approaching the end of our conversation, <laughs> get a bit more personal. Okay. Um, and I, I think over the years that I've 
known you because our relationship goes back a long time long yeah. time yeah to <laughs> back those days with foyer federation yes. when we were working together with richard branson oh and, yeah <laughs> let's not go there right now <laughs> that's that's at least three more podcasts <laughs> um but if we think back to those eight years uh city year how do you think you've grown how do you think you your own personal transformation if we think about that what's changed and what what created that change assuming it's positive i I personally (laughs) believe it is uh, um well i mean i think um i knew it was going to be challenging and quite lonely as i said um being a chief exec but you don't know it until you do it um and i remember in the early days thinking Oh, oh, people are actually looking to me to make a decision and having to really get into that mode. Um, and then it was quite hard to get out of that mode, particularly at home, <laughs> which is quite challenging in itself. Um, but And then also never having done quite as much public speaking as I, I did, particularly in the early days, partly because of the nature of the organisation. We were I was a lot more involved in the delivery in the first few years, understandably, so it was a lot of public speaking to the young people as well but it was just being that front person was quite a switch up um and that calls on particular resources but i think yeah there's a huge amount it takes out of you personally but that you get out of it Mm. personally working out how to run the business all these sort of taking people with you who your staff are who your loyal people are that you can grow you grow together really and you go through a lot of experiences together um but we were really deliberate about trying to skill ourselves up i think which is why we we worked with you um to help train our our staff team up yeah in coaching helping us to be thoughtful about how we were going to integrate that across the organization and give ourselves the tools we needed to help develop our team and ourselves um i think you've always got to be thoughtful about that type of thing and you need to continually be learning and reflecting and drawing on support from wherever you can get it so I I was lucky to have a network from our supporters that I could go to for particular specialist advice but also general advice so as well as the support we had from you I've had a, a pro bono coach from one of our supporters um, who actually I still work with now, <laughs> having moved on, which is amazing, an amazing privilege to have that. Um, and I don't think you ever stop learning. Um, you, know, you learn how to have difficult conversations, you learn how to code switch in different meetings, how you deal with a head teacher negotiation is quite different to how you pitch to a um, a private equity firm for funding to how yeah. you deal with a young person who may, who's maybe crossed the line and needs to think about having a second, you know, second or third chance and what judgment call you make. Um, and you were making all of those code switches during the course of a day. Um, it's one of the things I loved about it, but it was also one of the challenges of, of that sort of role is you are just switching yes. all the time. So how do you do that? How, and how do you prepare yourself for that, I suppose? Because you know, one of the constants in the work that we do and, and most people are experiencing out in the world is is that change is happening all the time. Yeah. Um, how do you become more resilient to that? How do you... I mean, I'm hearing in what you're saying very much a growth mindset and embracing the learning and yeah. recognising that there is going to be learning and there are opportunities for learning. Yeah. And that thinking like that makes a difference is, is what I heard in what you said yes but how do you become resilient or how do you take on that mindset um the mindset piece i don't know how you take it on particularly i mean i suppose mine sort of emerged (laughs) but it definitely the work we did with you definitely helped in terms of the discussion about being at cause not effect and um taking responsibility for what you were doing how you were coming across being thoughtful about all of those pieces um being resilient i think it's a lot of it is about a support network um and knowing who you go and talk to for advice and support on particular issues be that going home and talking to people at home you know partner etc um family about it and sort of sounding off or it's which member of staff is my trusted lieutenant on this particular issue that i can call in to sound them out and i was really lucky that i had a a group of people that i could go to on different issues and say you know i knew with i could go to my strategy director for particular knotty 
thinking problems, but he wasn't the person to go to on interpersonal issues. <laughs> um, so, you know, but my HR director really was. So, you know, yes. it's just having those people around you. Um, so that, again, it's a team-based approach. It's not, sometimes you do have to make the call on your own and sometimes they're only giving you advice or sometimes it's not even appropriate to go to them. But a lot of the time you're collectively working on a problem you're coming up with that solution together and then you own that solution and that decision and that that's quite powerful as well that's quite nice and you're going through it together and then hopefully you're also reflecting on it yes what we also used to do is refer back to particular experiences particularly in terms of running the program or a school partnership or whatever there were so many times where we'd say yes but what about that that example we did this in this context with that work here. And you're always sort of using that institutional memory um, to help you nice. with that particular example. Wonderful. So just to almost, you know, we're looking into the future. Um, <laughs> one of the conversations we were having a moment ago was about how interesting times are, particularly around politics yeah. <laughs> at, at the moment and you know, in various different areas. What do you think is going to be different in five years' time? What, what are the opportunities? What are the threats that are happening right now with all the change that's going on? I think, well, I think the nature of work is going to be different. And right. one of the things I'm quite excited about with this new job is that I'm working part-time and working flexibly. And I think that is going to increase. And that need for um, people to have more flexibility um, to balance their lives is really important. It's obviously important for the stage I'm at with two yes. small people to look after, <laughs> but actually it shouldn't just be about um, working mums that have that. It should be about everybody needing that flexibility to fit in the whole of their lives. Actually, one of the reasons I want that flexibility is because I'm on three trustee boards and that's really important to me, yes. but it also helps my job, but it um, it's really important to have that as part of my life. So um, I think that, um, nature of work the fact that we will be remote working in lots of different ways and te- technology can enable that is go- is going to be a big growing theme in the next few years um, and so I'm quite excited about responding to that and thinking about how we can as a business respond to that yes um, in terms of the social sector we are a, a much more divided country than we were a few years ago, unfortunately. Um, I don't think whatever the outcome of the political situation we're in, I don't think that's going to ch- It's going to take a long time for that to heal. Yes. Um, and civil society has a really, really important role in stepping up and taking on some of that healing. Um, and the trustee piece of that is important because we need people from all walks of life helping to be leaders of social organisations. Um, so that's my social mission, actually, is Lovely. people from diverse ranges, walks of life, lived experience, etc., diverse backgrounds coming in to be leaders of the social sector. Um, we need it. We need their experience. We need their contribution. We need their thinking. Um, and so my mission is to try and find different ways to help um, draw people in, consider it and to be part of it. Superb. So if someone's listening to this uh, or watching this and they're going, you know what, I want to be part of that. I want to be part (laughs) of the healing. What can I do? I'd quite like to be a trustee. Mm -hmm. Where should they go? They can visit our website, trusteesunlimited.co.uk. You can register to be a trustee on there, look at our current opportunities. Um, If you're interested in Step On Board, you can get in touch with me. You can find me quite easily on Twitter and LinkedIn Mm. um, or from our website. Um, There's also lots of other places where you can look to be a trustee. So NCVO, where we are now, and it's one of the owners of Trustees Unlimited, has trustee banks, so that's for smaller charities as well. So there's there's lots of places that you can look for trustee vacancies, but obviously register with us. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Very important. (laughs) Come to us. Perfect. Okay, Sophie, thank you so much for your time. It's gorgeous to see you again. Uh, And (laughs) really appreciate just tapping into your brain once more. (laughs) Thank you for your time. Really value everything you've had to say and look forward to the adventure ahead. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pleased. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe. Uh, And if you're willing, take a moment to leave us a rating or review. This podcast is also video recorded. So if you want to see our guests in glorious Technicolor, please head over to YouTube. Uh, I believe it's youtube.com forward slash 91 Untold. But as with all our social accounts, just search for 91 Untold or the 91 Untold Change Project, and I'm sure you'll find us. Now, of course, this is intended as a project. So if you want to get involved in the discussion, we'd love to talk with you. Uh, Please head over to Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter um, and join the conversation. 